Kate Hubley, welcome to the podcast. Why, thank you. Thanks for having me. Uh, so it's a great pleasure to have you. You're joining me from Montreal, uh, where you are a jewelry designer. You also own a company, uh, Kate Jewelry, K8 Jewelry. Uh, so I have a bazillion questions because I I am learning a lot about rocks now, rocks and minerals, but I don't know a whole lot about gems and, and you know, shiny things that you put in jewelry, which is really cool. Uh, I'm going to ask you the obvious question, which is how the heck did you get into this? Um, well, I've always been, because I, I my first career is in advertising. I'm a copywriter. But I have done, from the day I started university in Halifax, way back when, I was going to NASCAD taking night classes in jewelry. So I've always done them side by side. And at one point in my um, advertising career, I said, you know what? I'm not enjoying this and my heart belongs to something else. So I decided I would invest most of my energy in my, in my jewelry career, but I wanted to elevate it. I want I didn't want to do artisanal, um, silver crafty things. I wanted to go more high end. And the more you learn in this industry, the more you want to learn. And so then I got, excited about gems and realized how much I did not know. And it's like, oh, well, if I want to go and talk to a client about sapphires, I better know that they're not just blue and that they come from this place, that place, and the other place and what to look for and what makes a good quality gem versus a less desirable one. So I went to school. It's a sciency too. It's very, and it's also about, um, uh, primarily, a gemologist is someone who has learned to or gone under instruction, has received the education to identify gem material and distinguish it from another. That's what a gemologist is. And are, so you are a, a gemologist as well? Yeah. Is there a license for that? There's a certi- uh, cer- certification. I got mine from uh, the... Um, um, the FGA, which is in in London, in Great Britain. Um, there's also a GIA certification. And they're heavy-duty courses. The one that I took is super science It's all about light theory and, um, you know, the different – how gem material interacts with light. It's, it's mostly that, and that's what helps us define it. So when it's in the ground, is it considered a gem or is it considered something else? Is it, is it only a gem when it's been refined? No, um, really, a gem material is anything, you know, when it's, well, it's um, rare, it's durable, meaning that it can be worn, it can be made, used, and that it's desirable. And, and you know, so, I mean, organics are also considered gems, like amber, um what are some other organics, uh, bones, like different ivories, uh, but those are considered gem too, the organics. Yeah. I didn't know that. No. And it, that they're called really organic, organics. So, yeah. And so, that come from animal or plant life. Do you work with any organics? Do I work with any organics? I haven't recently, you know, I've got, I've got my little stash of fun gems and I do have some ambers and stuff. My piano actually ha- is made of uh, Canadian ivory keys and it's walrus. 
But that piano is very, very old. Like now, if you want to harvest um, walrus tusks, you have to be, um, uh, you know, I guess Inuit or First Nations. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, you you have to be allowed to harvest it now. Right. Yeah, Yeah. different rules. And what's fun about amber is that that's something you can actually find in nature, right? I mean, that's something you can go collect if you wanted to. Uh, Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I mean, there's lots, um, obviously, in the Baltic area, there's a lot of amber. I know when I was in Tanzania, in um, they had they had some amber there, but it's more cobalt. It's, um, it's, it's a younger amber. Like, I would have to get out my notes and find how many millions of years it is, I forget. But then the other kind is less. It's just a couple of million versus a whole bunch of a million years old I sound so I sound so educated but it's like a lot of detail when you when you learn this my volume my my book is like about four inches thick and then there's all the fascicules all the extra books we had to we we learned a lot so some of the details it's been six years some of the details are a little distinct do you have like a a specialization because I know that you have a jewel you make jewelry with all sorts of of different stones are there stones that you prefer to work with like that's your thing um I I prefer for me it's all about the color so it just depends like it it really if if I go I would like I just called it the sapphire boutique I was just with them as a friend of mine downtown who's a gem hunter gemologist and she she is a very big um provider of beautiful stones here in Montreal and we just talked about how you go towards the color it's the color that speaks to you so it's not necessarily the material the kind like is it a tanzanite a sapphire a diamond um tourmaline it's the color and so you're going to get drawn in by the color and the way the light plays off of it and the magic it has and you fall in love with them. You literally fall in love with them. And you say, "I can't, I can't, I can't, I, I can't stop thinking about this gemstone. I must have." <laughs> so that's it's not it. Yeah. So it's a color. And okay. Then, so then, how do you? Okay. So you're attracted, you, like you said, to a specific color. Do you? How do you like get them? Like, where do you get them? Well, gemstones are different. Gemstones are found all over the world. Canada has some gemstones. Canada is a big, the third largest diamond uh, gem um, diamond uh, producer in the world. Gem gem quality diamond producer in the world um, after Botswana and Russia, and so um, they're everywhere. We have garnets here. We and we have something called amylite, which is which is also a. It's found in Banff. It's sort of this fossilized um, shell, and it's it's like a rainbow, a golden rainbow. I don't know. Have you seen amylite before? It's no. Really, it's found up up in the um, in Banff in that area. Um, so it you know in the United States they have um, there's more, uh, Montana sapphires are really big. They have tourmalines. Um, and then there's all over uh, Sri Lanka, big sapphire places, Madagascar, Mozambique, um, um, emeralds in Ethiopia, as well as opals and emeralds in Colombia and Brazil. It, you name it, show, show, you know, there's Brazil has a lot, has a lot of gemstones. They have topaz. They have, they have everything, honestly. 
honestly, they have so much there. And then tourmaline is found in many places as well. Tanzania. So how does it work then? So let's say you want to work with a sapphire. You're like, like, I kind of feel like the next piece needs to have some sapphire Mm. in it. Do you look at a catalog? Do you look online? How do you buy the stone that you're looking for? Well, so there are a few places I would go to here first um, um, to look, like where I was. Like, it, it, literally, it's it's about 400 square feet of gemstones, all in showcases. I mean, they have the big safe and stuff, and you, um, I can take a look there. I also have a network all over the world, from Australia to Sri Lanka to Afghanistan, uh, to the United States, to Montreal, you name it. I think I even have a dealer in Sweden who sometimes posts, oh, I got these. And I was like, oh, I must have those. <laughs> um, so they're from all over. And sometimes I can just put out the word, I have a client looking for, and we'll see what comes back. And some will lend them out, That we call it on memo. So they send them in and you have to be insured and everything else. And so I can look at them. And then if I want it, I will buy it or send it back. Wow. So it's really involved. Like it it must take like weeks sometimes for this process to happen. Yeah, it depends. I mean, sometimes you'll go in and say, there, I found it. What a beautiful stone, you know, or like I even can phone here uh, in in Montreal at my friend Benny's place, Pierre Lecham, it's called. And I will say, I have a client, like I had one who was looking for a four carat emerald. And she goes in her safe and she takes pictures and sends them to me with the prices. And then I'll look and uh, I said, you know what? I'm going to come in and take a look at them in person. And then, you know, first I run it by the client to see if it's in the price range. And then I'll go and take a look. And if I want to, I can take them and present them. It's cool. It's really... I was I was actually in my head while you were saying that I was like wow you get to like handle different things that the average person doesn't get to even see in person. Yeah, and it's and it's 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 high security too. The the buildings where these places are, you know, there's there's security on the ground floor. There's security at every level, at every door. There's cameras. It's it's yeah, and you have to be more or less in the trade mm-hmm. to get access to it. Which is good because then when you come to me, I can always, I because I'm a gemologist and I know what I'm talking about and what to look for, you know, it's safer for the client to, to um, get the what they think they're buying. Like not versus yeah. buying on Etsy or something. Did you, have you ever run across a gem that got sent to you in the mail and you wanted to look at it and you found out it was not even the gem that they said it was going to be? Like, do you run into fakes? I I haven't necessarily myself like that, but I was just just earlier we were talking about a friend, the same friend who was in, I think she said Sri Lanka, and he said, "Come look, come look! I have this beautiful green uh, sapphire," and so she's like, "Hmm," because heft is the first thing. I don't know. Every stone has a different every kind of stone has a different density and one of the first tests we do is the heft to poids dans la main in French and just to see that feels light that feels heavy like if you put um, a diamond in one hand and a fluorite in another you're gonna see that there's a difference in in the same in the heft so she she was doing this and she said, it feels a little heavy. Are you sure that's not a cubic zirconia? You know? And he's like, no, no, no. And she said, oh, well, hold on. And she pulls out its little spectroscope 
And it's a little tiny instrument that you look through um, with light in it. it. It takes the light and it, what happens when light goes through the stone, it will separate the um, light, the ray, ray into its spectral colors according to its chemical composition. And we have actual, there's like these sort of narrow long strips and the rainbow is there, the, the seven colors, and there's lines and different widths and, and, and um, breaks depending on the stone. And when he saw her pull that out, he's like, oh no, wait a minute, I made a mistake, it's this one. So you know what you're talking about, you know, but if, if you were, uh, you know what, I was just... Uh, I, and I just saw online in one of my groups, he said, okay, it just happened to me, you know, lifetime um, gem dealer. I just bought 300 carats worth of fake tourmaline. No. Yeah. I said, first time in my career. So you got to buy or beware, even the, the professionals. And you, sometimes the buying online, you have to, if a gemologist who knows their stuff is getting, it can be ripped off then a consumer can be too. But the thing is the gemologist or the, the specialist in the trade is certainly going to be able to identify it once the goods arrive. Wow. Not a yeah, that's, that's a pretty big deal. And, and I, you know, like you mentioned earlier, you know, it's better than buying it on eBay or Etsy or whatever uh, to deal with an actual jeweler or gemologist. Um, what are some of the things that people should look out for even when dealing with a professional? Like how do you know that the, that person's a professional? Wow. Um, well, first of all, there's a bit of your gut, your gut has to tell you. And you, I think when someone is really transparent, you're, you're going to be more reassured. If you get, oh, don't worry about it, or uh, yeah, 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 or, you know, dodging the question or not necessarily having answers to your questions, I think um, how long they've been in business, you know, do they belong to any, um, associations, you know, a little Google doesn't hurt. Mm -hmm. Um, because you know, not, not every, everyone, like, you know, the mall, the mall jewelry stores, they hire salespeople. They don't hire experts. Mm -hmm. I don't right. mean to be critical. I apologize if I'm hurting anyone's feelings, but that's just a general rule. Whereas someone who's specialized maybe might open their own, their own establishment and you kind of get a feel, you can kind of tell. Yeah. And diamonds, especially now because there's so many lab grown diamonds and, and, you know, it looks, they've been around for a long time, but they're really taking off because of this, um, um, you know, the whole conversation around ethical diamonds. Um, and, but the, the value is going down on them and rather quickly. So they're, they're infiltrating and, you know, you have to, like, for me, I have to have faith in my suppliers and also be able to identify any kind of suspicious behavior. I, I don't, I don't have the full, um, set up to test whether or not a diamond is natural or synthetic or lab made. But I, I certainly can tell you uh, often I can look at a diamond just in, just by the inclusions and stuff. I know, okay, that's a real one. Whereas, you know, the, the inclusions of a lab grown diamond might be different, but it doesn't mean that I'm reliable for that. You would send that to GIA in the States for an evaluation. They have the big okay. machines 
to test. Right. It's not, yeah, so. So well, these I, these synthetics are, are very interesting. It, it seems to me, I have heard about them. I've heard that they are uh, kind of a new, new-ish new thing. Uh is it um is it worth buying? Is it something that uh, some clients prefer? They just want synthetic. Um. Well, I. You know what? I bet you if you told a lab grow a, a, a someone who grows diamonds in the lab that they were synthetic, I think they would get mad at you. Oh, okay. Lab grown then. <laughs> no, I, don't, I don't have. A, I don't have a preference. Um. People are really concerned these days. One with um the ethics of diamonds. Um, but I think there's a little, but that's a lot of marketing and it is so different now than it was in the seventies. And, you know, we have the Kimberly process, which is that, um, uh, you know, you're not allowed to take a rough gemstone out of the country without paperwork. So you can't, this whole idea of smuggling diamonds in your pockets and running over borders i'm sure it does happen it does happen but it's not as prevalent as it would make you think like i think it's 90 98 point something percent of diamonds are mine are you know come with the, the certificates like i don't want to get into because it's it's complicated I don't hold on. If I say it's complicated, then it sounds like I'm dodging. Oh, it. I think complicated is a fair word because yeah. it is political, it is ethical. Exactly. It, there's health and and all these other the bureaucracy. Yeah. Uh, you know, so it's fair to say it's complicated. Yeah, and yet on the by the same token, I believe I I know the figure for the colored gemstone industry is that there are a hundred hundred million people around the world working in the colored gemstone industry. And, and so that's a lot of families. That's a lot of communities. And I think it's, it's not a hundred million for diamonds, but it's certainly countless millions of people working in the diamond industry, bringing home money to their families and, uh, you know, nurturing their communities and uh, helping, helping different environments thrive. Like here in Canada, up North, there's, yeah, it's a big pit in the. There we go. There's a big giant crater in the in the north, but the money is being helped sent to you know provided to the local communities for for different efforts to help you know to to support them. I don't I don't like saying help. It sounds like so pa- um, paternalistic, but you know they they have programs that kind of. Uh, offer opportunities for the local communities to thrive better thanks yeah. to the revenues generated by the mines. Yeah, and I think I think the main concerns are maybe not as much in the in the Canadian mining industry. Yeah. I think the Canadian mining industry is 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 very different from let's say in a third world country or mm-hmm. you know in in Africa or, or somewhere else. And I think, you know, like you said like in the past it, there were problems with like slavery and mm-hmm. all these things that just like were absolutely atrocious which i think generated um i mean if i'm not mistaken i think that's what made it so that now there's more regulations yeah oh absolutely and it had to be there they were they were like like in angola and the congo like financing rebels some of which when we hear rebels maybe it's like a revolution and that's a good thing but these rebels were not so hot you know they, they were they were pretty bad it was pretty terrifying um, but just to get back to your point, Botswana is the number one producer of diamonds in the world. And Botswana is a stable country. 
Um, it's and it relies on the diamond industry to 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 to, to treasure uh, fund its coffers, okay. like for taxation in the communities there. They they live off this, and there's a lot of um, like they collect it off the shore. It's like not even inland; it's on the shore because that's just wow. where they So, are there any countries that you wouldn't do business with? I, you know what? I'm going to say something. Um, I'm a little bit nervous because there's there's um, a lot of a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful emeralds in Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. So even with the events of last week where that girls' school was bombed, I think I, I may be getting my facts slightly off, but there were a lot of young girls killed and wounded. Uh, presumably by the Taliban. I wonder when the Americans um, leave and they're starting now, if there's going to be any of that kind of funding of groups like the Taliban through things like uh, emerald emerald sales. I don't know. I don't know how. Like I don't know enough. But it was the first question I asked myself when I heard that they're pulling out. That's a I'm good question. Know. So there's a lot of things to consider. You're not just making rings and jewelry. You're you're considering everything from the ethics of what you're buying to, you know, like the value changes. You you need to keep an eye on the, the let, let's talk about that for a second here. The changes of value. Um, are there any gemstones, let's say in the in the last, let's say, five years that have really dramatically gone up in value? Up in value. Um well, you know the argyle in 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 um in Australia, the argyle mine that provides pink diamonds is quite quickly coming to the end of its lifespan. And so pink diamonds, pink diamonds, it's kind of like, oh, do you want a beautiful car for your birthday or do you want a pink diamond? Wow. Yeah. Yeah, and and I mean, and a fancy car at that. You know, it's like I, I was looking at some, some of us would be happy with a house for the same amount that diamond goes for. So that, that, that mine is, um, yeah, it's almost at the end of its lifespan for pink diamonds. They're, um, rare. And so they, they're, they're coveted. That's really amazing. Hmm. Uh, And so I, I heard that new gems are, um, are kind of like not being created. I don't know. I guess, uh, there's like new gems discovered sometimes. I, yeah, I think there's lots of minerals and gem material. Um, some can and cannot be used in jewelry, or they're not as you know they're not as beautiful. Maybe maybe they have some intrigue, um, and it really all depends on how they're designed. But a lot of them are um, cool finds that don't necessarily make their way into jewelry. Okay. There's there's a really neat one called um, Udiolite. Um, it's found like in Finland and we also have some in Abitibi, Tamiskamang. And it's a really cool um, polycrystalline, which means it's made up of lots of tiny, tiny crystals that come together to form a larger piece. And this one is kind of, I call it roses uh, after frost because I'm romantic <laughs> that way. But it's, um, it's got this ready layer and a bit of pink a little bit of silver and it has this dots this this kind of it almost looks like 
a pearl shell a little bit and um, with some black and it's iridescent and it's semi-translucent and it's very cool. Now I have a few pieces, but you can't get, it's hard to get now. So it's, it's also when these minerals or these gem, this gem material comes to market, it's like, can they mine enough and cut it and make it into a shape interestingly enough and market it enough to sell enough to sustain whatever company's doing it. Right. So it's that whole circle. And then is there enough, if I get people hooked on it, do I have enough and can this be a sustainable business? Wow. Oh. That's really amazing. <laughs> it's cool, huh? Yeah, it's really cool. Um, what about things like gold? So one of the things I know, like when I'm browsing through a jewelry website, mm -hmm. there's all kinds of different kinds of gold. Like there's like white gold and then there's like, I don't know, whatever gold. And then, you know, obviously your, your silvers and your, I think, platinum. I don't know. What are the different kinds of metals? Which ones are more valuable? Which ones are more practical? Well, okay, here's a little story. Way back after the war, you know, around that time, white gold became very popular because it was way less expensive than platinum. And it's white, like platinum and platinum rings were more you know, desirable or people like them. They were more if fashion or on trend. So they came up with white gold by putting either nickel and or palladium. Now in Europe, you're not allowed to sell nickel white gold. It has to be palladium white gold, which is a little bit more expensive, you know, so. But um, now platinum is less expensive. Huh. Gold. <laughs> yeah. So uh, this really so, right now. <laughs> yeah, that's really curious. I actually did not know that white gold, at least in Canada, had nickel in it. Right, and that's why people say I'm allergic. Yeah. I'm allergic to the white gold, it's the nickel, but not everyone is. There's, it's like a small percentage. I don't know. I don't want to make up numbers, but some people get a reaction to it and. Some people don't, so you use palladium. But in, in, in Europe, you're not really allowed to use it, I think. So in order of value, then, uh, would it be um, gold, like pure gold would be the most valuable? Right now, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, okay. Um, and then uh, platinum, and then silver, and then your copper's brass, whatever. So the way, um, so what is what is yellow gold? Well, yellow gold... Um, it, it, all gold, you can, you, they're carats, right? With a K, K-A-R-A-T-S. So the carat is the amount of gold in, um, okay, hold on. If you break a car um, it down to 24, nine carat, which is often what they use in the UK, uh, would be nine out of 24 parts. 10 carat is 10 out of 24 parts. 14, 14, 18, and then 24 karat gold is 24 out of 24 parts. Okay. Yeah, that's how that works. That's what that means. Um, so then if you do your calculations, you realize that 18 karat gold is 75% gold, and then the rest is alloy. Um, 14 karat is 538, I believe, 538%. So that would be a little over half of the, the material that you get in 14 is gold and the rest is alloy and so on and so forth. 
Hold on. What is alloy? Alloy is the other metals that they mix it with under heat and mix it up, give it a good stir. <laughs> and the, the outcome is um, the, the, the carat gold. So 18 carat, um, like there's, there's it, depending on where you are in the world, it, the, the, the formula or the recipes might be a little bit different, but um, you know, usually yellow, yellow gold is a little bit of um, silver. Okay. So they add a bit of silver. I, 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 I don't exactly have the exact formulas, but there might be some zinc or copper in there too, depending. And I don't want to talk out of school because metallurgy, I, I've taken a lot of classes, but the exact formulas, like you got to memorize this stuff. Yeah, then, and I, um, I don't expect you to, to know all the numbers. It's okay. Pop quiz, Kate. And so it's, so that's yellow gold. Um, you have white gold, which I said is palladium and or uh, nickel, and you have uh, rose gold or pink gold, and that the the main alloy would be copper. Okay. And then green gold, I think the main go- uh, would be um, brass. Interesting. So it's just a bit. It's just kind of a hint of hint of green, just to differentiate it from yellow. So if you t- saw the two together, you probably wouldn't say. I mean, if you saw green gold alone, you wouldn't say, hey, that's green. But if you put it beside yellow, you're going, yeah, it's a little green. So, yeah, that's so it's all about the alloys and alloys are the extra components that you mix with the metals to bring uh, for your final metal carrot. And what what determines, I guess, you know, when you were speaking about the... um... The, is it the rose diamond in Australia? Mm-hmm. Um, what determines other than scarcity? Because in, in that case, I would imagine it's scarcity that determines its value. Uh, for the other gemstones, like how do how do they determine if a ruby is more expensive than a sapphire or more expensive than a topaz or, a, you know, a diamond is the most expensive? Like, how does that work? Do you know? Um, topaz is abundant. Topaz, you can find it anywhere, and it can be treated to get those colors. The, like it can be treated; it's treated to get that blue. So you have a nice standard blues. There's like um, there's like three different blues: a London blue, Swiss blue. Um, oh, so they're treated, they're to, treated to have different shades. Yeah, and they can be oh. a bubblegum pink. So, and then you have your that that kind of brownie, smoky topazy. I don't think we call it smoky. I think that's like a a lay term, but if I say smoky topaz, you know what I'm talking about, that kind of. Totally. Yeah. And so, um, and that's natural, that's the natural and it can be colorless as well. So yeah. Um, so it's super abundant. It's found everywhere. Rubies, you're going after the color, the color and the size the color, the size, and the clarity. The clarity is that when you look at it, you know, even with the naked eye or under a loop, which is the little uh, magnifier that you see jewelers use, the little monocle, with less, like fewer inclusions, that it's really, it really catches the light and sends a light back up to the viewer. So all those factors contribute to the rarity. Like you can get a nice, cute little pinky pinky ruby and it's really sweet and then you have a beautiful pigeon blood ruby that's big 
and gorgeous and you know you think oh isn't that cute and they're like oh my god so you know when you look at the pigeon blood so the pigeon blood is a color of ruby it's associated with the um, mayamar and so yeah when you look at them you if you compare you're going to know that one's more than the other and it's those factors okay the rarity the color the way the light returns and reflects back up to you um the number of inclusions how clean it is and yep. what about sapphires same thing same thing and same thing with emeralds i, w- I would assume oh yeah actually emeralds it's also the origin emeralds as well the colombian are worth a little bit more than the brazilian it's, Why? it's the lore it's the lore it's mm. they've been mining those emeralds for so long and it, there's they have specific though the colombian inclusions have these really funny inclusions so picture this you have a stone and in the stone there's a cavity okay it's got air in it and then you have liquid and a crystal in the air so that's it's called a three k three phase cavity wow. three phase inclusion i'm really hoping i have all these facts because we're stuff that's like a little bit in the past because i don't talk about gemstones that much i'm more designing with the gemstones that i forget but yeah well, they- i mean you know more than the average person that's why i ask these questions because we're going to get to the designing part but i wanted to talk about the gemstones because all of these yeah. things really inform the consumer Right. I mean, this is really important to talk about because, you know, when you're looking for a ring or a new necklace or a new pair of earrings, and again, you hit a jewelry site and you're like, I don't know. I mean, this looks pretty, but I mean, is it valuable? Is it, I mean, you can see the price tag sometimes, sometimes they don't show the price tag. So all of these things inform the consumer. So um, the last thing I do want to talk about before we talk about design is uh, pearls. Yes. Now, I don't know if you work with pearls, do you? I work with pearls. Yeah. <laughs> last year I won a, um, no, I came second in a pearl, in a de- pearl design. Uh, yes. Competition. I, um, yeah, I've, I've started working with pearls a lot, actually. I'm quite, okay. Yeah. They're beautiful. They're, they're probably, probably my favorite are pearls. Nice. Uh, do you, uh, so where do you get your pearls? Which ones are your favorites? Okay. So, Again, I have um, someone here in Montreal who I just, I find her selection is fantastic and she deals with a lot of people. They come from Asia, obviously. Um, A lot come from China because there's very, okay, so cultured pearls are the ones that, you know, human beings grow. Natural pearls are the ones that are found in nature unassisted. They're all gone. There are very few. You might... You know, there are very few natural pearls, like the oyster pearls, you know, mm-hmm. that romance. There, there's very few. And you got to open up a shuck a lot of oysters to find that pearl. And, you know, they, they were depleted. I think, did you watch, do you get Gem TV from the CBC? No, you, no. That? There's, what's his name? Oh. Um, so you know that guy who played in that movie? <laughs> um, one of the big American actors, black, very elegant man. He um, he's, he hosts this show called um, Slavery, and he brought um, he, he traveled. He found his people, 
where he came from, where his ancestors came from and visited back. And he was taken to a park that is all like, as far as the eye can see, oysters. And it was from where they were waiting, the people were waiting, and that's all they had to eat. Wow. Waiting for the ships to come and take them over here, Mm -hmm. the slave ships. So, I mean, it just goes to show you, um, I, I, I don't know if that's, did they, did they, when they ate the oysters, is, did, did they like take pearls? Do you know? I have no idea. I'm they curious now. Like that. I'd be curious now too. They mm-hmm. were probably stripped of anything of, of value. I'm sure they didn't go on the ship with a pocket full of pearls. No, but I was going to say maybe they took that, you know, well, maybe they, imagine the, that they the, the colonizers and all that. Exactly. Yeah. But there's um there's a lot. I mean, it's funny actually because I I talked to an oyster uh, microbiologist <laughs> on on a different episode mm. who who studies the effects of pollution on oysters. So that's yeah. another thing that's kind of uh, a problem. But there are, I mean, Canadian pearls, aren't there? Like Canadian pearls, or like I I uh, maybe I was ripped off, but I bought a I bought a a necklace piece that had a, a Quebec pearl. I was told, uh, so I. <laughs> don't know but that might be from you know um uh pearling uh, because there are there are oysters here and so Mm -hmm. maybe every now and then they find like in hawaii apparently you can go and get an oyster and it'll have a pearl in it but it's not it's not a jam jam well yeah i mean it is it's pretty but i don't know how that works and i'm i have a feeling are they still cultured though or are they naturally found out in the water Oh, that's interesting. I don't know. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's true. That's yeah, I guess it's a question I didn't ask. Yeah. yeah so, but I'll give you my I grew up in in the Maritimes and uh, my great aunt Bertha lived in Cape Breton. Mm-hmm. And she when she found out I was doing jewelry, she's not with us anymore. She said here. And they call me Kathy, right? They say, give this to Kathy. And I opened it, and it was all the tiny little pearls that they had collected from clams, oysters, oh. and mussels through their whole life together by the sea. And I have these little things. So they're, they're not beautiful. They're a little wonky, and they're a little gray. But, um, yeah, so it's hard to find a natural. You have to eat a lot of oysters to find a pearl. Right. Yeah. And, and by, by a beautiful natural pearl, you mean one that's round and it has like the, the good colors and yeah, and the luster, the iridescent, yeah. stuff like that. So I don't know, but it, they could very well be, but they might be cultured. Like I have a feeling they're cultured oysters that we get like at, from Malpec or the, the Soleil, or both, what are the French ones, the Quebec ones called? I don't know. I've been, I'm in Ottawa now. So it's, it's like I've lost all my Montreal knowledge. <laughs> uh, let's talk about designing because we have about 20 minutes left and I definitely want to talk about designing. Uh, you design, you work in, you're kind of, I mean, you are an, an artist. You work in series, I find. Uh, you have various collections. Uh, you have partnered up with other artists. You have worked on your own work. How do you come up with an idea for a series? Okay. I, what happens often with me, um, one, one thing, I, maybe I see a gemstone and I have to make something, Blah, that's, that's a given, but also what I find is I, I'll give you a story after it'll make you laugh. What happens to all of my designs are based on this kind of idea that 
um, we go through life and we have we go through all the struggles, but we come out a superstar. I really believe that, and I think that the the the, the pieces that I create are really celebrating that kind of ability to go in and find that strength that'll push you through and you come out better. You know, what, what doesn't kill you will make you stronger kind of thing. But, mm-hmm. you know, like a little bit of the fearlessness to tap into your own power and fearlessness. So I have things called precious time. Would you like to know the funny story about this? Sure. So I had a friend who was very, he's very flamboyant and um, he, he was doing some kind of, horror movies and he went to the Cannes festival and on the way home from the festival he was with his friends and they were bugging him and he said no um I uh don't bother me I'm designing for Kate okay (laughs) now what did he come with guillotines um bear claws um the pity pendulum I don't know if you know what the pity pendulum is yes (laughs) all these torture ideas for jewelry. And I'm like, Oh, thank you. That's so sweet. Um, but no, <laughs> it's a big, uh-huh. but then I went through a divorce and it was a, like a toughie. It was, I think we actually met around then and yes, it was a tough did. one. And I always like, you know what? Freaking pen pendulum. It's going to, it swings both ways, my dear. And I was like a little angry. And then I started to think about the pendulum and what actually, when we say it swings both ways, does that mean it goes up and it goes down? Or does that mean the pendulum, the pity, the, the pity pendulum, that will come back and swing and it'll go deeper and deeper with every cut? So all of these, this imagery um, came together for me. And what I realized is eventually a pendulum, yes, it swings up and down. And that's what gives us our experiences and makes us who, who we are. But there's a moment where that pendulum comes to a stop in the center. And that's where we find calm. And that's the idea behind this collection. Oh, I never knew that. I always, I mean, I've seen the the work that you've done. Mm-hmm. I've seen the shape, which is very unique in, in mm-hmm. the jewelry world. Mm-hmm. Um, and I never knew that that was the actual origin of it. That's very fascinating. Yeah, so that's why I call it precious time because, time, and you know, I, I don't know, I find that, I've been looking really at the what what time is and how it my notion of it has shifted so much over the years and especially now you know since that time that I was talking about time is so different now for me before it was like I only have so much time have to do this. I'm halfway through my life. Um, oh, I wasted all that time. Uh, what a waste of, you know, this was, and I've like, no, this is what I did then. And now I'm doing this and time is expansive and it is what we do with it. Like, I don't like, if my kid says I'm bored, it's like, uh, uh, you're not allowed to be bored. Go fight, you know, like, don't, it's not about wasting time, but allow that time to become sort of, a place where your mind can go and it's sort of three-dimensional. I don't know if that makes sense to you. No, it makes sense. I'm, I'm a big fan of uh, boredom uh, without calling it boredom, but like just time to just like sit still for a minute, yes. even, you know, yes. that's important because everything around you informs your next thought and informs your whatever, like get off your phone, just sit still for a minute. And I think that also informs, you know, your inspirations, your dreams, your goals. Uh are you uh, are you working on a, a new series now? Well, I'm expanding the Precious Time collection actually, and I'm going to be doing a lot more of Watch Me Make It 
I'm, I don't, do, I don't do a lot of, like, I'm a little bit insular, especially this year. I've become, I've become the quintessential, um, oh, did I dress today? And, uh, no, what are you doing? Phoning me FaceTime. I want to let, I want to call. <laughs> this is not good. <laughs> I'm not presentable, believe me. But, um, uh, so I'm expanding that, but bringing in, um, more, less of the pendulum idea and more of the minute hand. And because especially this year, people are very upset with the time that they lost. Yeah. And yet others are like, oh man, that's all I wanted. A, a year without having to be accountable to anyone except myself. Yeah. So, and, you know, I see the kids. I have a teenager turning 17, graduating from uh, high school this year. And there's that, you know, you see the kids and they're upset. Like, they they feel like they can't get the time back, but they've been doing things without even realizing they've been, they've been nurturing, nurturing other things. So I thought I'd, I'd work on that collection, but instead of the pendulum, it'll be the minute hand. Very cool. And so you've been established as a business for how long? E. Okay. So as I told you, I did, I was in advertising and I gave it up a few years ago, but I always did quite a bit on the side anyway. So it, I would say it's been under two years that I've done 100%. Actually, since the pandemic, 100% without other contracts, just jewelry, it's been a year and a half. But it took up most of my obsession, but I can't say it generated most of my revenues. Advertising is well-paying, and sometimes the gig comes along, it's like, oh, it's fun, I like the team, and I like the 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 number of hours and the price so <laughs> i'll do that you know so yeah I, I, you know, a lot of the um, the creative people that I know, uh, unless they're like engaged in like unionized work in in Hollywood or something, yeah. uh, you know, they have something else on the side that brings in money that pays for the freedom to create. Exactly, that's a big deal, right? Big deal. Yeah, and there's as someone once said to me in jewelry he said, as soon as you sell, you're in business. As soon as you decide to put a price tag on something, you're in business, and you better figure out how to make it work. Or else you're a hobbyist. Yeah. Are you a hobbyist or, or a business person? Yeah, I recently interviewed uh, Amber from uh, Australia. She uh, she's the owner of a company called Commies Cupcakes, and she uh, she was the same way. She she had uh, you know she quit a graphic design yeah. and went into um, cake design. And at one point, she decided, you know what, I needed to stop being a hobbyist and get into the businesswoman's shoes. And so what for you has been the transition from full-time work in, or let's say whatever contract work in advertising mm -hmm. to now full-time as a jewelry designer, uh, jewelry business, what kind of things do you think that uh, you've had to make changes? Like what kind of changes have you had to make? Oh, it's total mindset. It's really tough, especially when, you know, this learning a jewelry, it's so minute. You're working, oh, it's a tenth of a millimeter off. And you'll go and fix that. It's very, um, um, very uh, precise. And you, you need to if you're going to be high end. And so it's really easy to go and work on crafting, like working on your craft and not so much on the sales. And sometimes there's this idea that you don't want to be um, – pushy mm -hmm. um 
if you sell it, well, then you're, you know, it's obnoxious. Uh, um, I don't want to bother people. A whole mindset, but you're in business and it's not a cheap hobby. It's an expensive hobby and it, you're, you're making things to make people happy. So it's getting over yourself and for me, not going and like, oh, I think I'll just perfect this tiny thing that no one does anymore, you know, <laughs> because um, it's a it's a great place to escape. And getting out there and selling your stuff and being positive about it is 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 it's a feat. I, I it's new to me. I didn't. I never learned that. Even in advertising. They would come to me and say, Kate, come up with a catchy slogan. And I would say, here's your catchy slogan. And they would take it off and bring it to the client and do all this stuff. I just had to make the thing. Right. right. And so they did all the other stuff, the whole pr presentation to the, 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 and the selling and the this and the billing and the that. And so it's really taken a lot for me to get my mind over it, which is probably why I still have to do some freelance. Because <laughs> well, I mean, the advantage that you have is that you're a copywriter. You know yeah. how to write. Definitely. And so knowing how to write is going to make your job, I think, a lot easier to sell your, your work for the jewelry business, I would imagine. Mm -hmm. But yeah, absolutely. I can talk about my work a lot, but, um, but I can keep my, the, the words that I create talking about my work on my computer, on my desk, my messy desktop, it's getting it out there, right? Like yeah. it's that whole, um, the whole Excel part of business. Yes. <laughs> so this is something. Pining and this and that. And ooh, <laughs> it's easy to hide. It's easy to hide in the creative work. It is. Yeah. I recently incorporated. So this is my first year in, in business full time as well. Right. So I recently incorporated and it is all this stuff that like, yes, I have an accountant. Yes, I have a lawyer, but they're not going to do all the paperwork that I need to give them. So it, that, that stuff alone is a new thing that I never had to do before. Yeah. Um, so I'm curious, do you mostly have clients? Um, do you like, do you have a lot of like, do you have custom clients? Like people who really want something designed you know, to their, to their design. Yeah. So what often for me, what's happening most is people will see something I make and they'll say, do you have that with blah, 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 for example, like, Oh, can you make this in, um, yellow gold? Maybe I have it in rose gold or pink gold. Um, can, can I have a sapphire? Maybe I have a spinel in there. And so they might add something or I have a gemstone. I love this design. Can you work with that? Can we remake that design to fit my gemstone? So I get a lot of custom. Um, and you know, and yeah, that's how most of it, but I have my collections and, and I, you know, I sell those as well, but the fun, the, it's really fun when people come to me and they like the kind of work I do. And then they ask me to help them to reinterpret it for them yeah. or, you know, and then it really becomes part of who they are. And as a Canadian, so you're a former East Coaster living yeah. in Quebec. Uh, are there any, is it a pain to do business in this industry in Canada? Is it, is it great? Is it easy? Are most of your clients in the United States? What's the actual uh, kind of Canadian perspective on this? Hmm. I would, I would, I, I don't want to, I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. Yeah, it's okay. <laughs> so oh, I found out that this is part of my witch's wound. <laughs> um, uh, the United States has 10 times our population 
Yeah. They have far much more wealth. That means that, you know, for every hundred people here, we might have one person who uh, has a budget where if there, it's going to be 10 mm -hmm. in terms of, I don't know if my mouth makes sense, but 10 times. So, and they have bigger industries. So they have more wealth, you know, the, there are people who are more affluent, the percentage of more affluent people. And Canadians tend to look outside Canada for their prestige. Yep. It's true. It's true. Um, you know, they don't. Uh, Toronto, uh, a lot of... I was really surprised that the wealthiest Torontonians were at Mar-a-Lago last week. Did you see that? No, I haven't been following. I don't follow the news as much anymore. No, it came up because there's someone, I don't know the details, but someone who was elected president of fashion, this or that, was got a you know a family photo with Trump. <laughs> and uh, the LGBTQ community was a little bit... Right. What? You're in our Canadian fashion. Like, don't you know who your people are? <laughs> right. <laughs> right? So... So they, it feels like they, they're not, you know, they, they, there's this idea that they, buying outside Canada is more prestigious than buying within. I have that sense. Yeah, I think I, I, you know, you see this a lot in the fashion industry, you see it in the arts, you see it um, as an artist myself, as a visual artist mm -hmm. who just decided, screw this, I'm, I'm going to just not sell, and mostly not sell in Canada, period. Yeah. But I think, uh, you know, a lot of artists are targeting the American population, just because there is, like you said, uh, more of an... Um, I guess more of a uh, an eagerness to to purchase and they don't they don't really care if you're in Canada or not I mean if no. they love your work they love your work yeah exactly and you know the other little thing that can come into play is like depending you know, um here you go to Starbucks and a coffee's five bucks or whatever four dollars I don't really go there but and then in in the states you go to Starbucks and it's four dollars American which equals you know six dollars Canadian so there's that perception as well that, you know, if, if something is $100 Canadian, when they see and it's converted to American, it's like $78. That's a, that's a steal. I'm going to give me steal. two, you know? So there's that too, the exchange rate. Um, people think in the States think my rates are, my, my prices are excellent. I was even told to, you know, boost them up 25%. I said, I can't do that to my, my people here. I won't do that. <laughs> Just bring on more, you know, more American sales from the States. But there is that. Um, there's a lot more affluent people. There's the exchange, right? And there's, um, yeah, I think there's more willingness to buy. Yeah. And I think Montreal, it's a little bit romantic. Yes. And this, there is a, you know, there's a, there's a reason I'll, I'll tell you about this after, after we, we start recording, but there, I have a little thing with Montreal that I've kept. Uh, but anyways, listen, Kate, uh, we're out of time. I just want to wish you all the best. I think you deserve this, um, this uh, success. I, I wish you all the best now that you're fully in business. And uh, <laughs> it's been a pleasure having you on the program. Oh, well, thank you for inviting me. I'm excited. Uh, it was really nice. It was fun to babble on and chat about all things sparkly. <laughs>